Welcome back to another episode of Time Out with the Sports Doctor, where life, sports, and medicine intersect. I'm your host, Dr. Derek Burgess. I got young kids. I got my wife. Like, I don't, like, she, she shouldn't be a widow. Like, my kids didn't grow up without their dad. So, like, it was like that feeling that was like, super overwhelmed. Like, I'm not ready to go yet. All right, Neil, welcome to the show. Thank you, man. Thank you. Good to be here. So, tonight we have Dr. Neil Lewis with us. He resides in Atlanta, Georgia. Uh, Neil, where are you practicing now? I actually practice in uh, Sharpsburg, Georgia, which is about 30, about 30 minutes south of Atlanta, okay. uh, the Emory Clinic at Sharpsburg, doing a family practice, uh, traditional family practice. Okay. And your wife also, Tammy, also practices medicine. Are y'all practicing in the same location? So she's with Emory as well. We've got like sister offices. They're about two, about, they're about seven miles apart from each other. But we share office managers, we share staff, and um, so kind of like sister clinics. Okay. But y'all don't work together eight to five every day, huh? No, 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 no. We, <laughs> we, that was, uh, my wife put it, it was not about that life. It was not yeah. about the uh, yeah. other. She let me know very early on that she did not think that was a good idea. And, uh, yeah. she, you know, she's right. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, you have children as well, uh, two-physician home. How do y'all balance that? Yeah, uh, we, you know, yeah, I got one son, fourteen, daughter's eleven. Um, have had my son our fourth year of med school. Had our daughter our third year of residency, and um, I get asked that a lot. And it's kind of like one of those things was hard to answer because I don't have anything else to compare it to. So right. it's like kind of just I don't know what it would be like any other way. Um, definitely, um, family support has been huge. You know, uh, my parents, our parents. Have, have really helped kind of fill those gaps. And, um, you know, I think the kids, our kids are really good about that too. They're pretty adaptable. And I think that, you know, I had a physician friend tell me one time, speaking about the same thing that, you know, kids don't have any, any expectation on their, on their childhood only you. So, mm-hmm. you, you know, you can kind of make it and they, they're, they're very, you make it how you want it. You know what I mean? So the kids have been really good about that too. So. Now they're teenagers, so I don't even see them anymore. So it really doesn't matter now. We got roommates more than kids. Yeah. So now you live in the suburbs, right? Tell me about this golf cart community. Yeah, so I live in Peachtree City. So I think at last check, there's 96 miles of golf cart paths connecting neighborhoods, grocery stores, uh, parks, lakes, whatever. Is Everything's connected by golf cart paths. And so... They try to try to make it this 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 kind of little oasis, so everything's accessible. Golf cart paths, kicking drive to school, you know, driving to high school. So you, it's not anything to see, you know, 40, 50 golf carts on the way to work, just kind of just riding along. And like my daughter is actually at a friend's house, and the dad lives about probably about six miles away. Came and got on the golf cart, just you know. <laughs> So going to the pool and, you know, yeah, it's cool. It's really cool. But yeah, yeah, so I didn't know anything about it until I got here, but it's a big deal. So tell me, you know, you grew up in Atlanta in the, in the city. What would have happened if you had a drove a golf cart to your school? (laughs) Oh man, you wouldn't have drove it back (laughs) or you got ran over. It's a definitely, yeah, our kids definitely live a different, different life than growing up in Decatur. They don't, yeah. you know, they don't lock the doors. They don't understand. <laughs> right. I guess it's a good thing. Right, right. Southwest of Cab, right? Yes. Yeah. The, uh, we are infamous and famous at the same time. I think yeah. is the best way I can describe it. So right. we've got right. some pretty cool things we're famous for and some pretty bad things we're infamous for. Sure, sure. All right, man. So we met at Xavier University um, our freshman year. We actually yep. were in a summer program together. So how'd you choose Xavier? Oh, good question. So I always wanted to be a doctor um, and I was not the best at like the college application game. Like I was kind of late taking the SAT um, and I actually thought I wanted to go to Howard. Um, that was kind of what I wanted to do. But then my junior year, my mom actually had to get me. 
and the doc was a black male who uh, went to Morehouse, but actually recommended Xavier. So that was like the first time I even heard about like putting Xavier on the, on the radar. Mm-hmm. Uh, there wasn't a lot of people in my high school that really went there. So I didn't really have that like in the forefront. And then my mom, my dad did more research on it than I did, honestly. And, you know, once they kind of saw the, and my, you know, once they kind of saw what the numbers were looking like, I applied and, you know, then I got, I got a quick acceptance and they sent that t-shirt. Remember the t-shirt that you got? So that's still the deal, man. That's yeah, so I got deal. the acceptance letter, I got the scholarship letter and I got the t-shirt like in like one day. My parents were like, that's it, you're going. But I had visited New Orleans. I had been to the campus. It was like completely a fresh, like just walk up in there, you know, first day without knowing a soul. So definitely, you know, obviously I think that's the best decision of my life, but it was it was not the uh, storybook one. Right. So anybody looking for a marketing tip, t-shirts work, man. Once I got t-shirts, that t-shirt. Uh, yeah, t-shirts and uh and what, they sent all the, you know, then they sent the names and the and with the kids and what Scott what med school they were going to. Right. They had all kinds of like, you yeah. know, they sold it to the parents. They were yeah. real good about that. Like they 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 pitched it to the parents, um, which was smart because they were the more paying. So you might be talking about this newsletter. Yeah. You get it still? <laughs> Man, no, I still have this original. You still have the newsletter. This is my original newsletter. Oh, wow. You still got the, the twacks. The, I yes. still got the twacks. So the twacks. it comes out, what was it? Monthly, weekly? They would tell whenever yeah, people like, got accepted yeah. in a medical school. So this was, was my edition right here. So I see. Yeah, look at you. You still got your twacks. <laughs> yeah. So tell them about the t-shirt. What was the t-shirt really publicizing? So the t-shirt, everybody got the same t-shirt. First of all, it was thick as all get out. It yeah. was like- Great cotton, 100%. Was, <laughs> 100%. Yeah, like we're in New Orleans, yeah. this thick black t-shirt is probably not the best idea, but it had on the front, it had the, I think it had the big number one on it. That's what it mm-hmm. said. It had the big number mm-hmm. one on it with, uh, you know, stating the facts that uh, number one and getting African Americans into, into medical school. And I don't know if you remember, so like I think 1992 was the first year, if I remember correctly. So I remember we were the 10 year. Mm-hmm of being number one. And I think we wanted to get over a hundred and that was like our big goal. Mm-hmm. I think we got like 104. So we, we initially at that time, we broke the record. That was a heyday at Xavier for sure. I mean, cranking, it was a straight machine. Uh, J.W. Carmichael um, was the, the goat. medical. <laughs> he was the goat, <laughs> you know? And I mean, like you said, putting out 80, 90, a hundred, I want to say it got up to one teens, um, yeah. maybe up to one twenties. Um, and then Katrina kind of knocked him off the game a little bit, but they I still, still believe they still maintain. Right. I think the biggest thing was when you got there freshman year, you saw people getting into medical school. Right. Like it wasn't like this crazy, it wasn't this crazy concept that you could get into medical school. Right. So every time you walk to get onto the elevator in the science building, you had to walk by the bookshelves that were full yeah. of people that were accepted into medical and dental school or you know, either in a research PhD program. So you saw that and it became second nature that, you know, that's why I'm here. Yeah, it was like, you know, it was like your freshman year, you don't know many of the seniors. So it's kind of like your freshman, you kind of learn your way around, but you see these seniors and you see them getting in. But then like your sophomore year, you know, you know them, like, you know, the people, cause you, you know, you, you see them around, you, you may hang out with them, you may be in a fraternity, sorority, whatever. So, you know, them, and you see them getting in and then they're dropping knowledge about what they did to get in. And then, you know, then like your junior year, you kind of get, you kind of get that motivation, you see people who, you know, again, getting in and then mm-hmm. your seniors, like, okay, my turn, I got to get in that glass case, got to get in that glass case, you know, Absolutely. and that would come the thing. And then you turn around, now people are looking at you like you look at seniors mm-hmm. and it just kind of became this, this, yeah, it's, it's so many different layers. I don't know whose idea that was, but it's, it's genius. Absolutely. Absolutely genius. So we were not roommates, but we were next door neighbors. <laughs> we might as well have been roommates, we, you know. Yeah. yeah, we were we were neighbors. We were right. Three doors down from each other, I can't remember. But yeah, so a lot of, uh, and you and I had a lot of classes together. Yeah. We had more classes together, I think, than anybody else mm-hmm. in our little circle. We always ended up in the same 
classes. So I think that kind of was you and I had that relationship. So we shared a lot of uh, oodles and noodles. Yeah, you know? your barbecue sauce. <laughs> right, oodles and noodles, yeah. and, you know. Yeah. And we shared weights, you know. <laughs> yeah, and your uh, your barbecue sauce. Yeah. I don't know uh, if the listeners know, but Derek <laughs> has a thing about barbecue sauce and would keep barbecue sauce in the glove box of his Bronco. <laughs> And it it, it 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 sounded like a genius idea, but this is New Orleans in the summertime, right. and I don't know. That. <laughs> Man, I forgot all about that, but yeah, that is oh, yeah. true. It is true. Yes. It is true. I'm a connoisseur of barbecue sauce, so now when I go yeah. on vacation, I'm coming home with some barbecue sauce, more than likely from wherever I am. So, <laughs> <laughs> but I did. I stole the barbecue sauce with French fries on from you. I did See? steal that, so you there get you credit. I have done that and I, I definitely owe you that little bit of uh, credit. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, I always, I always mess with you about, you know, when we first start working out freshman year, right? <laughs> so, <laughs> so, you know, Neil turned into this CrossFit junkie, but that was later in life. Right. So, Much later. yeah. So when we get to school, he is probably six, one, six, two. About six feet, but yeah. I was probably about 125 pounds. Right, 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 right. So we decided, all right, every night our routine, we're going to study, but before we go to bed, we're going to work out, right? So we hit our push ups. McCallus had us doing our 21s, you know, on the arm yeah. curls. And, you know, we were religious about it. But, you know, at first, Neil started off as by far the weakest, right? Because McCallus. Oh, 100%. Yeah, not even close. So, yeah. Yeah. But, yeah. you know, fast yeah. forward. Yeah. Fast forward ten years later, he's like Mr. CrossFit man. Picked up how many? How big did you end up getting? Uh, at my biggest, I was two hundred five. I'm about one eighty five now. That's kind of my fighting weight. Yeah, at my biggest, I was like two hundred five. But I was, I've easily put on about sixty, seventy pounds since since college. Easily. But, I mean, you kept that same discipline. I mean, every night, even if nobody else wasn't doing it, you were going to get your push-ups in. And then when yeah, you were in CrossFit, how often were you working out? Uh, CrossFit, uh, five days a week. And even now, my typical day is I wake up about 4.30, 5 o'clock. I get on the Peloton bike for about half an hour to 45 minutes, depending on the class. And then get home from work. And work out for another hour, hour and a half or so. Right. So you that's my, my usual routine. Yeah, yeah. So you're laughing at us now, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, you know, I don't know what got. I, I started lifting. I didn't know what I was doing for the longest time, but I started. I think medical school is when I started like trying to. It just was a stress reliever, and it kind of just came from that. But yeah, definitely the the, the origin was Adrian. It was a. Uh, I started off doing five sets of five push-ups, and that was killing me. Yeah, to do that, and you know, I was like, I'll do five sets of five, and then I'll I'll, I'll add five push-ups every three weeks, and you know, but yeah, that was that was rough. That was yeah, that was definitely some growing pains. Yeah, yeah. Now, Xavier, I think even starting off as a freshman, you always had a leadership position, right? I, I, so freshman year, I think I did. I think it really kind of jumped in sophomore year, but freshman year, I think I was not an official leader, but I think I had, like, we were, you know, I think you and I, like, our crew kind of had a, I don't want to say popular, but we were, we had a role, and I think a lot of different, we had our hands a lot of different things. But um, I had really, the leadership thing kind of came, really came from just, my desire to, I really, really loved Xavier when I got there. Like, hadn't felt that way about any place ever. Like, that's home. It just did so many things for me in so many different ways. And so I kind of felt like I didn't want that magic to, to dissipate. And so I felt like, well, if I feel that way, then I need to be, I need to be there to make sure that that doesn't change. And so that was kind of the, the the desire really to run for class president sophomore year was just like, I loved our class. And I just felt like we had a really special group of people. And I definitely feel like that was the, you know, Xavier defined me in so many different ways. There's so many different like single moments, like in my four years there that really changed who I was. Um, like even in high school, like my high school was pretty big, pretty, 
gritty, rough, you know what I mean? I was I was not a popular person. I think I was very quiet, not necessarily shy, but quiet. And um, I remember like my first day at Howard Hughes. So just kind of backstory. So Howard Hughes is what we kind of went to before school started. It was, they had about a hundred of, you know, students kind of got there about a month and a half early. And we did basically a semester of summer school uh, for chemistry, but it was also a way of kind of getting everybody into school, getting everybody kind of acclimated, getting networking together, kind of getting your friend group and everything together. So, so that really kind of just like, okay, this is how I'm gonna, this is how college is going to be. And it kind of just snowballed. And so even going into freshman year, like I felt like so much love for the school. I was like, okay, well, either, you know, I could take that and just kind of be happy or I can take that and try to make that grow and make other people feel the same way. So that's what kind of got me into SGA and that kind of stuff in the first place. So I started this platform, you know, because when you meet successful people, a lot of times you see them in their current situation, you know? So people meet you, they see you as a successful doctor, a business owner, and they are like, you know, may say, I might never be able to achieve that because they don't know what you had to go through to get there. So I like to talk about your backstory, you know, any adversity you had to overcome to get to your current situation um, and how the adversity has kind of shaped you into being the person that you are today. Oh, yeah, I can definitely go to the adversity. So I think the first adversity I really had in my life was definitely medical school. Xavier was uber supportive. Um, everybody there, I think, but Xavier gave me, it's when how, it's how God works. You know, Xavier gave me the tools I needed to be able to deal with the adversity that I felt when I went to medical school. Mm-hmm. I went to a predominantly white medical school. Um, I think in the hundred year history of the school, we had the most um, enrolled black people in our class in the history of the school. We had 24 out of 180. And that was the most. Yeah. And it was, um, you know, it was it's a completely different, I guess, shell shocked, like completely different environment. The support that I was used to as Adrian just wasn't there. It was kind of like doggy dog in a lot of ways. And you know, I went to medical school with my girlfriend, at that time girlfriend, now wife. And so that had a whole other dynamic to just the struggle of going through medical school together because you're going through with somebody. So you're kind of living two stressful lives. Like if she did well on the test, but I didn't, okay. But if I did well on the test and she didn't, then we're still, you know, so you had this kind of like this dual thing you were dealing with. But I would say the first two years of medical school, I made it through. It wasn't like my grades definitely weren't what they were at Xavier, but that was cool. Um, but then the biggest, biggest hurdle I hit was when this, the boards came around. So we had to pass step one in order to get into your third and fourth year of medical school. Well, I didn't pass step one. I think I missed it the first time by like four points, something crazy like that. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that was the, they were like, okay, that's cool. You know, you can keep doing your rotation that you're on, but then, you know, what we'll do is we'll just have you take the test again. We're not going to disenroll or anything like that. I was like, all right, cool. So I took, took my time, took, the, took it the second time, missed it by two points. So then I had to meet in front of the people or whatever. And so that moment right there was probably the it was it was it was a fine moment for several reasons one i walk into this room they're like 10 people in the room all faculty members um none of whom i really know right right and you know everybody who knows me knows i go by neil like my first name is brian but i go by neil so all my friends family like nobody who knows me calls me brian right mm-hmm. so i'm in this meeting everybody just calls me brian so they don't know who I am, clearly. They haven't bothered taking a chance. They're just saying, Brian, 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 right? And it was the first time I've ever been in a room with people and they looked at me like I was a smart. You know, I had always been the smart person in the room or at least thought to be one of the smart people in the room. And it was a it was a very interesting feeling that these people were looking at me and I could tell they really didn't care whether or not I passed or not. They were just going through the motions. And having like... It was like the, what came over me that moment was like it was 
I felt too proud because of everything I had gone through and what that was meant to me, that I wasn't gonna give them that satisfaction. Like I just it was it was like I took that adversity as like a challenge, not as a sign of defeat. And so they what they did was they they disenrolled me, they took away my financial aid, they took away my health insurance. So basically I had, I can't remember how much money I had. But basically, I took the rest of my student student loan. I just paid my rent for like the rest of the semester. I was like, at least I got a place to stay. I may have no food, no lights, or whatever. At least I got a place to stay. They're not going to evict. So I paid the rest of my student loan. Whatever I had left over, I just paid the rest of my rent for the rest of the year. So at least I had that taken care of. They couldn't evict me. Um, and then I had to study for the boards so again. And it basically, like, if you don't pass this time, um, you're out. You know what I mean? So long story short, stay for the boards, pass the boards. And I think I'm going to get kind of like welcomed back with open arms, you know, like, oh, well, you know, good to know, glad you're back. Can you go to your place online, whatever. But so much time had elapsed and I was kind of off track. I was in between years, right? And so for the listeners who don't know, your second and third year, your third and fourth year medical school is pretty structured, right? Clinical. You got your class, you have several things. Hmm. It's the clinical years. Right. So your clinical years are pretty structured, right? You got your your, your blocks that you got to go through. And, and it's, they only have X number of students that can put in these blocks. So I was kind of halfway. I was half and half. So I was like, I had missed half of my true third year, but they had done the lottery for the upcoming year and hadn't included me in the lottery of the, the rotation. So I had no spots there either. Hmm. And of course, you know, getting all these prerequisites, like you had to do X block before you could do Y block. So if I didn't do my internal medicine, I couldn't do my cardiology. If I didn't do my, you know, anything like that. So I actually had to like, basically lie. <laughs> the only way I could do it to get in rotations. Like there was several things I just showed up. Mm. And they were like, I, was just, I just would tell one person that they told me I could go and tell another person they told me I could go and I just ended up being there. And I did that just like on my internal medicine rotation because I needed to do internal medicine. So I literally told the, the, the program director that the dean said I could. And told the, the dean, I told the dean that the program director said I could. And they never talked to each other. And so I just kind of like shoehorned myself into a rotation. And so made it through medical school. And, you know, that was, but it definitely was, I mean, obviously a God thing, but Xavier put me in a position where, I, I had the tools to know I could handle that. That's and it. I don't think if I went to any school, I would have felt like that. You know what I mean? And then, of course, having like you guys going through the same thing to some extent, but just having like, you know, your support from your friends and kind of having people all kind of go through it together, you know, you weren't alone. You know what I mean? So that was the one of the first major adversity moments in my life but it was like it defined you know I wouldn't change it in retrospect because it's it's what God had planned for me it's what I needed to go through but it definitely um changed my outlook and just kind of like that was one of the major adversities I ever had and it's one of the things like everybody thinks like go through med school straight through it's easy you know smooth sailing and all this kind of stuff and it was kind of hard sometimes because, like, you guys basically sailed through. I mean, there was no hiccups, no bumps. And I wasn't ashamed of where I was, but I also wanted to be where you guys were. You know what I mean? And so, but seeing you guys make it gave me motivation that I could do it too. Yeah. Well, you man, thank you for sharing that story. And, you know, I saw, I heard a quote by Les Brown that said, adversity introduces a man to himself. You know, and if you didn't yeah. have what you needed before then, you would have crumbled without a doubt. Exactly. Right? exactly. Maybe even exactly. just being in that room with all those people would have been enough to shake your confidence to the point where, you know, you just give up and walk out the room and never look back. You know, I had a very, like you said, you're either on the passing side or you're on the felon side. I passed step one, but I didn't blow it out the water by any chance. And, you know, I tell people I'm in orthopedics, but who are the people that are supposed to be in orthopedics are the people who have the 99th percentile on these board exams, right? Right. You brought up standardized tests. It's been a thorn in my, in my side since the beginning. So that's one of my missions to be able to help people, you know, that struggle with standardized tests because 
I know for me, <laughs> I know what it took to get to where I am now. And it wasn't all just easy, you know? Right. And remember, we had the, the fun thing of they went from paper to computer. Like we grew up taking paper tests our whole life. And then mm-hmm. all of a sudden tests are now on the computer. Yeah. And what, that was a completely, that was the first standardized test I took on the computer, which was completely, it can, I had, you know, years of honing how I study for tech, how I take tests based on paper. Like I was a very active tester. I was writing and stuff, underlying stuff, all this kind of stuff. And that completely just blew that out of the, just was gone. And the other thing, like, so when they pulled me off of my rotation, I was already like, I was, I was already three fourths of the way through my pediatric rotation. And they recommended, hey, look, you should probably just drop out of pediatric rotation, not do it, not take the test, um, because we don't think you're going to pass it. If you don't pass it, it's going to look even worse. Mm. And I remember looking down like, nope, I'm taking it and I'm passing it. And they were like, you shouldn't do it. I'm like, I'm taking it and I'm, I'm going to pass it. I took it and I never failed any other test after I passed my first step one. So that showed you the difference in the experience you had at Xavier, which was supportive. You know, if you're oh, in the situation at Xavier, is I believe you can do it. But when you get into the real world, it's put up or shut up, right? And if you don't have it, then we don't care. Many situations it can be like that. Oh, 100 percent. It was it was Xavier that got me through medical school. There's no doubt about it. Like that that no doubt about it. Like if I hadn't had those four years of Xavier, I wouldn't have gotten through medical school at all. 100 percent I don't know if I got into medical school, but I know for sure I wouldn't have gotten through it. You know, it was I leaned on not just the experience, but the people like, you know, just the, the, just seeing all of us go through that shared thing together and just like, okay, I can lean on you. I can lean on our other friends who, you know, I can, you know, I I can vent, I can, you know, so it was so many different ways that that made a difference. Yeah. So, you know, we hear in medicine so much delayed gratification, right? Right. because you've missed so many uh, parties, birthday parties, Christmases, Thanksgiving, whatever, because it was so much time dedicated to studying. You know, you pretty much had to have your, your blinders on to get through. And then you get through, you're in practice a couple of years, and then you hit another major adversity, you know, from a medical standpoint. Will you tell us about that? Yeah, so 2019, January 9th, I found out I had cancer. So story on that is very, uh, it was Hodgkin's lymphoma. So um, New Year's resolution is crazy. So New Year's resolution, I was like, I want to get closer to God. Like that was my New Year's resolution. Like I want to get closer to God. That's basically, that was just, you know, I had been practicing medicine, had a little money in my pocket. I was feeling good. I was like, okay, you know, I, I think I was a little, it's like, you need to be a little more, you know, servant attitude, you know. So I got us, I got sick. I got a little virus. And my wife did too. And it wasn't a big deal. It was just I was sick, like everybody else gets sick. I wasn't too worried about it. And um, you know, I had really bad night sweats. And so uh, my wife, who's also a doctor, you know, Tammy looks at me one day and she's like, that's not normal. Like you shouldn't be sweating like that. I was like, nah, it makes sense to me. I got virus, you get chill, you get, you know, this is a part of it. She's like, mm, nah, I'm not, I'm not thinking that's right. Driving the office and she calls me like right before I, I start seeing my first patient. She's like, I got a funny feeling something ain't right. Like you just need to get checked out. I was like, all right, cool. You know, whatever. So I'm seeing patients. I feel great seeing patients. And um, I get my nurse to like shoot, just like, hey, just, like she was chest x-ray, just let me make sure I got nothing going on there. So I run out back to the chest x-ray and I come around the corner and she's looking at me, her eyes are like, kind of like, that's not, you know, she kind of got this, this she's kind of staring at the thing, kind of looking at me and kind of got this weird, like, look on her face, you know, like she's kind of questioning something. So I go to the x-ray and it's like this big, huge, like mass, like sitting in my chest. So you saw your own x-ray? Some on x-ray, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, so I'm on X-ray. So I was at, I saw there's this mash is sitting in my chest. And she was like, 
I took, she's like, I, she's like, I took it right. Like I didn't ever expose, like she's thinking she did something wrong. Like she overexposed it, you know, like I was rotated. Right. So she, and I was like, I was like, no, I was like, that shouldn't be there. And so I got my partner. I didn't tell him my expert, I got my partner. So I hey, come look at the expert with me. And he came around the corner, he was like, oh, whose is this? And I was like, that's me. And he was like, what? I was like, yeah, that's my chest expert. He was like, that, he was like, we gotta get a CT scan. So, Lunch, so like, right, pause right here for a moment. So you yeah. see this completely abnormal chest X-ray that belongs to you. What's running through your mind? Um, initially, I'm like, okay. I didn't immediately jump to cancer. I just thought like, okay, maybe I had like a pneumonia or something like that. But it was it, it was in the wrong spot for pneumonia. Yeah. So I was kind of like, I wasn't really freaking out. I was like, okay we didn't get a CAT scan. Like I was like, we just need to figure out what this is. Cause I felt fine, which is weird. Like I felt fine. I was like, I feel good. So I didn't really freak out. So I got the CAT scan. We get a stack. So there's a, you know, we call the radiology imaging place and because I'm a doctor and because we give them business, they like shot me in really quickly. They didn't even like charge. They just did one. So give me a do the CT scan and I'm sitting there waiting and the radiologist comes out. He was like, Hey, you want to come take a look at this with me? And I was like, I've seen a lot of, I said, that's not good. I say, anytime somebody wants you to come take a look at you with something, like, that's the doctor speak, that's not good. Mm -hmm. So he comes around the corner, he's like, yeah, there's definitely something weird going on. And at first he's like, I think it may be lung cancer. And I was like, oh, it's like, it may be small cell because it was a big, huge mass and it was kind of had pushed, it had like pushed my aorta, like my aorta was like actually been pushed by it. Mm -hmm and had these lymph nodes everything it's like it could be lung cancer it could be lymphoma i'm not quite sure it could be one of the two and so that hit me like yo okay that's that's a major okay that's not good because i'm like i ain't never smoked a day in my life and if i got lung cancer that means it's probably one of the more aggressive ones because i shouldn't have lung cancer so i'm like and then my then the doctor still kicks in i'm like maybe 18 months maybe two years that's all mm -hmm. i got you know, quick. if it's a small cell, you know, if it's, if it's spread, because there were lymph nodes, I was like, I got maybe two years, you know, and um, I went outside, and I remember it was a windy, windy, windy day, like, it was crazy windy, with January, it was cold, and I called my wife, and it was happening every half day, so I called her, and like, I could barely get the words, I mean, that's when it hit me, like, I could barely get the words, I was like, I got cancer, that's all I could say, and, you know, Poor, poor her, because she literally at 730 in the morning called me and was like, I got a weird feeling something's going on. And then I called her back at like 1230, like I got cancer. Like that's the only communication we had between like when she called me, when I called her back. Right. I didn't want to freak her out about the x-ray or anything like mm -hmm. that. I was going to CT scan, but let me not call her and freak her out until I get like more data, you know. So all I could, and so I, I just told her like, I got cancer. And I could, I could barely get it out, you know what I mean? And she, um, to her credit, like, like she was like cool and calm. I don't know how she was cool and calm. She was like, just come home. She was like, just come home. I called the office, just, just drive home. I was like, all right. So I, I drove home and, um, you know, she met me in the garage. I pulled in the garage, she in the garage. And I, like, I broke down. I was like, I was more, I was more disappointed sad and worried because of what I thought me going away would mean to other people so it was like I got young kids I got my wife like I don't like it she, didn't, she shouldn't be a widow like my kids didn't grow up without their dad so like it was like that feeling that was like super overwhelming like I'm not ready to go yet like I wasn't scared of dying per se but I was like I'm not ready to go yet and so it was like okay well I gotta tell my parents you know what I mean? So I got to tell them. And it was like, it was just feeling like I'm about to ruin their life. Like I'm about to drive over to my parents' house. It was like a 45 minute drive hmm. and tell them I got cancer. And it's like, I'm about to ruin their life. So we drove over there and, you know, it was my parents, you know, because it was like a middle of the day, it was a Wednesday. My parents were like, why are you pulling up? You know, like what's going on? And my parents were like, kids okay? Everybody good? You know, my kids are fine. Like, my dad's like, you okay? I was like, no, I'm not good. And so I told them, and they held together while I, in front of me, at least they held together. And then, then became like a, you know, became like the, 
tell everybody you know who got you got cancer so it became like I'm just, I gotta call my brother and tell him I gotta tell my in-laws I gotta you know all this kind of stuff and so we ended up driving kind of right, crisscrossing around Atlanta like telling people that night face to face I got cancer and then still didn't know what it was um but then I get back to my house and I think the hardest thing for me was like it was like you know, because we had done this driving around, it was probably like eight, nine o'clock, the kids were already in bed. And I remember the hardest thing was going to my kids' room, telling them goodnight, and thinking like, these are numbered. Like, I, I have a finite number of hugs to give my kids. With something you don't think about, but then you start like, holy crap, like, I don't know how many nights like, I have like this. I don't know how many nights I'm able to tell my kids goodnight. I don't know how many nights I'm able to hug my kids goodnight. I don't know how many more of these I got. And so that was like the hardest thing. I think that moment was definitely by far the hardest thing. Cause at that point my son's 12, my daughter's like 10, you know, nine. And um, I just felt like I had done, I hadn't done it on my head. I wasn't, I wasn't finished yet. You know what I mean? So, um, but so that was a Wednesday. I would say the next day, I went and told my office staff because they kind of figured something was up because obviously I didn't come back to work. I was kind of jazzed. Still didn't know if it was lung cancer at this point. At this point, I don't know if it was lung cancer or not. I haven't seen the oncologist yet. I seen the oncologist the following day, so I don't know if it was lung cancer or lymphoma. And I'm like, well, lymphoma is a whole lot better than lung cancer, clearly. Yeah. Um, but I don't know, so I'm kind of like not getting my hopes up, so to speak. I'm still thinking that this could be something really, really bad. And then that night, I went to bed. And I remember as clear as day, like God saying, like, you wanted to get closer to me, this is how I would do it. And I remember thinking, like, okay. Like, <laughs> I was like, cool. Yeah. I was like, okay. I was like, at that point, it was like, this is weight just kind of like, so I was like, at least I know he's a part of this. At least yeah. I know that whatever's happening is according to his plan. So that completely took so much weight off of me and how I looked at the disease just completely changed. And, um, you know, I told you guys, I think that weekend, cause I think I had just, you know, we just saw you like the month before. Yeah. Yeah. It wasn't long yeah. Long. yeah. I think I saw you like the middle of December and then two weeks later I found out. Um, but that, like that night, that moment completely just changed my outlook. Cause it was like, okay, I'm good. Like, if it's going to take me out, if it's not going to take me out, at least I know that this is not something that's unplanned. And so I was like, okay, I'm cool. You know, whatever, whatever happens, happens. And, um, and then after that, you know, it was just going through everything. It was, you know, it was getting the surgeries to get the body. So, so this is, this is how God works. This is Xavier in action. Okay. So first off, I have this thing. Every time I go to doctor's office, I wear a Xavier shirt. So that's like my good luck kind of thing. Yeah. Every doctor appointment I've gone to, every procedure I've had, every chemo session I've been to, I had on something from Xavier. Every time. Still do it to this day. Yeah. Like, go to get my PET scan, put on a Xavier shirt. Go get to the doctor, put on a Xavier shirt. That's all I wear. Like, I wear some form of Xavier paraphernalia every time I go to anything. So, but just how Xavier works. I had to get my major procedure to get a biopsy. So they had to do kind of go in through my, behind my neck, kind of between my sternum and clavicle to get my um, biopsy because I had no biopsies, no places to biopsy that were easy to grab. So they had to go, basically had to get like a cardiothoracic oncology surgeon to go in and grab the lymph nodes. Um, so I'm in recovery at Emory, who walked by, guy went to Xavier with, who's a vascular surgeon. He's like, yo, what are you doing here? I'm like, I got cancer. So he hangs out with me. Yeah. He's not, he just, he just like, just the Xavier connection kicks up. Victor Joku just like sees me. He's a vascular surgeon. He's like, what you need? I'm, like, I'm just hanging out. just waiting on stuff. He's like, make sure I'm good. Talks to my wife, talks to my dad, make sure everybody's good. Actually rolls me out of the hospital. <laughs> so they call a transport and they're like, and Vic's like, nah, I'll take you out. I got it. And they're like, why is a surgeon who didn't operate on the guy 
taking this dude out of the hospital. It was a Xavier thing. It was like, that's what we do. Yeah, it's priceless. Yeah, it's like, that's what we do. So it was like, just instant. Like, Zeke's like, I got him. I'm taking him out. He's, I'm cool. Because nurse was like, first of all, doctors never roll a patient out. Like, that is, that is <laughs> maybe, just Maybe out of the operating room, but not out of the hospital, right? Not a hospital. A doctor, you will never see a doctor pushing a patient out of the hospital. No. But Xavier Connection was there. And so Vic just, he rolled me out. And my dad was like, he's he just was like, I can't believe it's Xavier played. He's like, it's crazy. I was like, yeah. I was like, that's just Vic, you know. And Vic just looked, just was saw me and that was it. Um, but then I did, I did chemo. You know, and you, you even you help now because your cousin, you know, yeah, your cousin yeah, had, had my cousin had just beat it, and then you know, you, I'm thinking you were gonna call me just like, hey, what's up? And you know, you're very matter of fact, and you probably just told me, hey, I got cancer, and I'm sitting up there trying to juggle it, you know, and I didn't, yeah. you know, doesn't know what to say, but I did know that my cousin had beat it recently, right? Uh, so I reached out to him and said, hey, I got a friend who has cancer. Will you be willing to talk to him? Yeah, absolutely. You know, so yeah, exactly. And so Marquise, yeah, is that shout out to Marquise? Yeah, because I mean, it was the Xavier connection, like just so when I'm going to chemo, there are two other people who went to Xavier with us who also going to chemo. So there's my friend Aaliyah who's going through chemo for breast cancer, my friend Titi who's going through chemo for breast cancer. So we're just like a support system. So, you know, we were even sometimes we have chemo at the same time, same day. We're like FaceTime, you know, and it's just this, it's this connection just to Xavier, just to support, you know. We lost TT, unfortunately. You know, she passed in October last year, but it was, you know, she reached out to me just because I went to Xavier. Like, I didn't even know TT that well. And mm-hmm. she, she heard I had cancer and she was like, call me. She gave me so much good advice and so much good, like, do this, do this, don't do that. This is what you need to do. You know, and meanwhile, she's going through her battles and her struggles, you know what I mean? And so, um, you know, she passed in October, you know, unfortunately. And but, uh, you know, she, but she was the support was there. I mean, I still to this day, every day I wear a pink bracelet for her, you know what I mean? I wear for the rest of my life, you know what I mean? But the Xavier connection is just, it was, it just, it made even that like doable you know what I mean and me even that like just like talking to y'all and, 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 and you know the people you know because I didn't even want to like post on social media like you know I got I got cancer because I didn't want to be like you know I just didn't want to be that guy you know mm-hmm. but it's like the more people praying for you the better off you're going to be but I mean man we had I had people come from come from New Orleans like to visit me um call me during chemo like you know, it, it's just so many people there supporting me that it just felt like it made it easy, as easy as it can be. It definitely renewed our relationship. You know, it had been a while since we had really been in touch on a regular basis. But, you know, I know I needed to help support you through that. And it wasn't yeah. much I could do, but I wanted to reach out and, you know, say, hey, how are you doing? You know, you got this. You're going to make it through. And, you know, you poured so much, like you said, your main reason why going into leadership, Xavier, because you love that feeling it gave you and you poured back into the community. And when you most needed it, they were right there for you again, you know? So oh, that- yeah, 100%. You know, it was, it, 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 it just, it just, you know, I can't explain, you know, what everybody did. Like, I can't explain, like people, you know, just, just uh, people called me that I hadn't talked to in years, you know, it was just like, everybody was reaching out and it just made it even, and I, and I, you know, honestly, not just me, like my wife, like that was another big thing. So I think, you know, I tell people all the time, like it was much more difficult, I think for my wife, because like, you know how it is. I mean, you're married. I would much rather be the one going through something than having my wife go through something. And so for me, I would much rather that burden be on me because I know my kids are okay and my wife was okay and I can be the one that showed the burden. Yeah. It would have been much harder if it was the other way around. And so for her, like just people reaching out to her, you know, just kind of like, hey, how are you doing? Because it's, you know, how it is. I mean, it kind of treat me with, oh, Neil's got cancer. Well, you know, how's he really doing? But it was a lot of her sorority sisters kind of came to kind of lift her up and kind of be supportive and, and you know, 
so many different ways. Like I can never thank, you know, people as Xavier enough for just every text, phone call, whatever I've gotten, you know. Yeah. But, you know, now you're on the journey. You're cancer free now for how long? Uh, two years. It'll be so I got one more scan in August. And so by my last chemo was May 28th. So that's that's two years since my last chemo. And then I have one more scan in August. And if my skin in August is clear, which it sure will be, um, I'll be considering remission. So that will be considered by definition being remission. Yeah, man, it was it was a God thing. It was a uh, you know it was I, I I appreciate it. You know, I kind of look at it as a blessing. Um, you know, I kind of made that decision a while ago. Like you look at it as a curse or a blessing. Like that's the only way life can be. So when you have adversity in your life, how do you look at it? Do you look at it as like a bad thing or a good thing? And yeah. so I chose to look at it as a good thing. And I chose to look at it as like it gave me perspective that a lot of people don't have. Like. Mm-hmm when you kind of face your own mortality as a physician now that you, when you're treating your patients, you've been there. Yeah. You can relate and you can relate in a way that, that you, that you, I thought I could before, but it really does allow you to relate to a patient in a way that they, that you can't, you know, you can't, there's ways I can relate to patients now that I couldn't before. You know what I mean? Um, I thought I could, but it also just provides them with some comfort knowing that I've been there. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I know that feeling um you know but absolutely it 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 makes a huge i mean huge difference every part of my life like i appreciate everything like i i don't go through life taking anything for granted which is nice to be doing at 40 and 41 as opposed to like 70 you know so every little thing that happens i can kind of i kind of sit back and kind of smile at myself like this is a promise mm. like this 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 isn't granted. This is not guaranteed. And I'm kind of like, I feel like I'm kind of have a perspective that I wouldn't have gotten if I hadn't been sick. Yeah. That's beautiful, man. So tell me about, you know, you're still practicing medicine, but you also have other business outside of medicine. Uh, Tell me about your business. Yeah. So, uh, always been a dream to be a business owner. So that's always been a dream of mine, um, for, as long as that. I just always feel like I want to own a business. My, you know, father-in-law's goddaughter got displaced from Katrina. So she lived, you know, in Atlanta and became basically family. You know what I mean? And um, her and her husband, we, we, we opened a, um, a non-emergent transport uh, company uh, four, three years ago, three or four years ago now. Um, and doing, you know, just, just treating people, you know, mostly the black community. Um, and we're dealing with just kind of transporting people to and from uh, places who, who can't drive and are wheelchair bound. It's grown, you know, we're, we're you know, it's grown, it's, it's, it's successful, it's a, it's a blessing, you know, and it's just one of those things about black ownership, you know, and just being, you know, owning something and putting your name on it and being able to, to provide that generational generational thing you can pass to your children and their grandchildren and so yeah. kind of trying to make the same leaps and bounds that our parents did for us that we i do for the next generation you know yeah no we're definitely in the mind shift of being able to like you said provide generational wealth so it's not just being able to leave money to your kids but being able to leave businesses land houses whatever it may be so that they don't have to start and worry about scholarships and worry about, you know, how am I going to pay oh, yeah. bills in medical school? You know, it was, it was crazy. That's one thing that, you know, going back to medical school blew my mind. Like I went to medical school and there were people who like parents just bought them a house. Right. In their name. Just no, to build, no, scholar, you know, no, no student, at my aid. <laughs> no, no just, aid. <laughs> yeah. Just bought them a house, put them in a the house, put the name on it. Now they're getting equity, you know, in the house for four years, they fix it up, sell the house before they leave, get money back. You know, it's like whole different ball game. Holy ballgame. It's people who are going to school because of money that their grandparents saved for them when they were born, you know, like just crazy, just things that, you know, I remember we had one guy in our class that would get student loans and just play the stock market with it. <laughs> like he didn't need the money, you know. And I was like, this is, you know, you just realize like we're we're so far behind and you, you know, I think you're my parents are first generation college students, you know, 
My, my mom, made, my mom was first generation college. Yeah, you know they made huge, huge. You know, my dad, I mean, my dad was on the farm. You know, even went to college. That he, you know, there was a dirt road to my grandparents' house since I was like 15, 16 years old, and they made huge leaps and bounds. And so I kind of feel like I've got to make those same leaps and bounds for my kids. So if my kid wants to be a school teacher, which he does, well, that's great. You know, and. And, you know, you can do other, you can do that because we've got all these other things, all these other sources of revenue, all these other things that you can do as well. And you don't have to get a job that you just, that pays a lot of money. You can do what makes you happy. You yeah. know what I mean? I think that's all we can really want for our kids if they do something that makes them happy. You know, they use their God-given talents to, to, be, to be happy and change the world. And they don't have to feel like getting money is the, is the, is the, is the thing that drives them. Well, Neil, I really appreciate, you know, the stories. It's been a while since I've heard some still make my hair stand on the end, you know, hearing about the cancer, hearing about the struggles during medical school. But thank you for being so transparent, you know, tonight. I just say thank you for, for having me on here, man. You know, I'm just extremely proud of you, like, you know, because you've been one with the surgeon for since I met you, you know, and, and you and you've done it, man. You know, I was I still remember, uh, I don't know if I, my memory's weird, you know, I have to yeah. crazy. So first we're getting a chemistry test. I don't know if you remember this or not, right? So we're both struggling to study, Absolutely. right? We're like, I don't know how to do this. We're both studying. And so we get together and you have all these questions and I like help you. And then like, you get an A and I flunk it. <laughs> I was like, what? <laughs> was this? I don't remember that. <laughs> Yeah, like you got an A or first organic chemistry test. And I was like, You sure that was McAllis? You sure that was me? No, it was you. I swear it was you. Because we had the same class. I swear it was you. I know. Yeah, but I don't take our relationships for granted. You know what I mean? I don't take those times we had, you know, and still do, you know what I mean, for, for granted. And, you know, it just is what it is. But I'm, I'm just proud of you and, you know, from the family and, you know, my issue doing her thing and just like, yeah. So this, this is a blessing to see. Absolutely. I appreciate it, man. I really appreciate it. So, you know, closing thoughts. This is your final, final time, time out. out. You, got, you know, the audience, you got your family. What do you want to leave them with? You know, a book, a quote, your motto. How do you, what do you want to leave for, you know, everyone listening tonight? Oh, man. Hey, we should give me a heads up on that one. <laughs> <laughs> um. I think, man, I think, I think the, you know, God is good, man. I think that's what it all boils down to. You know, I think that's, you know, if I had to say one thing, just God is good. Like you said, in your toughest moment, he reassured you, I'm with you, you know. Yeah. And that was yeah, all man. the help you needed. That's all. It changed my whole, it was, it was a very interesting moment because at that point I didn't care if I lived or died. And I never felt that way before. It was like, all right. So you, you, this is your plan. So I can just ride this out. So cool. I can deal with that. Yeah. That's deep. You know? That's deep. What about a book or a quote? What do you have? I don't really, I don't really live on quotes, man. I don't really, yeah. I'm not, you know, you got, you had to, what was your, say yours again. Yours was good. That was, I want that one. Which one are you talking about? The one about uh, uh, adversity. Shows oh, care. yeah, yeah. No, I said adversity introduces a man to himself. Yes. That's my quote that I just stole from you. There you go. That's all yours. That's all yeah. yours. <laughs> I appreciate it. Yeah, that's. I'll take that quote. Yeah. Cool. Well, all right, man, I appreciate it. Uh, you Absolutely. Have a Thank you for staying up with me. Oh, it's great, man. Take care, man. Thank you for your continued support with this podcast. A five-star review would be greatly appreciated. Subscribe to this podcast so you can continue to get the updated information and new episodes. Thank you.